0: This is Hard Reset. Today on the show, we'll go over some of the things that the candidates got wrong at last week's Democratic debate. But first, a new state law in California is putting how Uber classifies its employees to the test. Right now, Uber says its drivers are contractors, clearing the tech company from meeting requirements required of most full-time employers. I'm here with Big If True editor Molly Bryant, and she has a story out last week talking about a lawsuit that's been filed against Uber by one of its contractors following the passage of a new state law in California. Molly, what can you tell us about this lawsuit and uh, also the law that kind of preceded it going through in the court?
1: Yeah, so basically last week, this this law was passed that bars employers from classifying workers as independent contractors when whenever those employees are, are performing services that are like really connected to like the core aspects of that business and so really just the next day it was anticipated that this would be contested with a lawsuit because um, one of the first things that happened was Uber said that that they would not comply with the law because it didn't apply to it didn't apply to Uber and because drivers aren't core to Uber's business, which, you know, obviously might raise a few eyebrows. So um anyway, this lawsuit was filed basically the next day by California resident named uh Angela McRae. And basically it's alleging that Uber has violated this new state law by cons- considering its drivers contractors, and that also includes not not paying drivers minimum wage not paying overtime not compensating drivers for things like gas or vehicle maintenance maintenance or their car insurance that they really need to you know kind of complete the duties of their job
0: right and so basically what we've seen with a lot of these tech companies that have risen to prominence in the last five to ten years is that they use this classification as an independent contractor to kind of skirt around legal requirements for full-time employees. Uh, you mentioned they're not able to claim expenses they use while they're in their uh, their job as drivers. Also, you know, Uber isn't required to provide benefits necessarily like they would under some laws, famously Obamacare, required companies to give full-time employees uh, access to health benefits. And it seems like they really rely on this independent contractor status in a lot of cases to carve out sort of extra or in some cases the only profitability uh, as a company that that they can. So did Uber give any information as to why they're saying drivers aren't core to their business? I'm just curious as to what Uber thinks their business is if it's not people driving their own cars that they own to pick up other people.
1: Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of all the information I have just based on something that uh, Tony West, who's the chief legal counsel for Uber, had said. But as as the lawsuit that was filed last week pointed out, this is a quote they uh, the lawsuit said without drivers to provide rides for Uber's customers, Uber would not exist, which is, you know, it's it's the truth. That's what the company is, is drivers providing people with rides. So yeah, definitely.
0: It's it's funny because I guess what Uber is thinking is the core business isn't the drivers, but it's the Uber brand itself. It's the Uber app. It's all of the kind of marketing that it's put around the idea of an Uber. And it reminds me of what a lot of companies do when it comes to uh, like Uber's business model or maybe, um, you know, food delivery companies like Postmates. These are all things that existed before whether they were small businesses like carrier services in towns or in the case of uber you know taxi drivers in cities across the country but they kind of scoop up this uh workforce and in the case of uber and a lot of these other companies they're they're independent contractors so they don't have a lot of protections or benefits and then they put them all under the umbrella of a single brand and they basically becomes like a, a kind of marketing machine where an existing service, an existing idea is made to seem like it's some sort of um, you know an, an innovation or a, a sea change in the way an industry works. And that's kind of how they raise hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, we're seeing it with a lot of companies right now. We were talking before the show about WeWork, uh, the, the co-working giant. They're trying to file an IPO and uh, really run into a lot of controversy when people started dive into the financial details of the company on top of some very sketchy corporate governance practices where basically the company rents all of its commercial real estate from the CEO of the company who owns it under a shell corporation, lots of other weird things like that. But also it turned out that WeWork isn't profitable at all. And they were asking for this huge valuation, basically just off the brand itself, the idea that WeWork is so powerful of this idea that people would go and pay and work in these hip office spaces with, you know, cold brew coffee and, and cool conference rooms, and it's it's really nothing new. It's commercial real estate. It's what has been going on, uh, you know, for a hundred years across the country. But they tried to say they're worth, you know, some tens of billions of dollars, uh, beyond the value of their corporate assets simply because of the idea behind WeWork. And to me, it seems like Uber is trying to do that as well.
1: Well, so can you give us an example? Like, something I find kind of confusing about these tech companies th- is that a lot of them aren't really making money, but a lot of them, like you mentioned, like they're just repackaging an idea like taxi driving and trying to make some of their operating costs less expensive by, you know, paying people less and stuff like that. But can you give us an example of, you know, something that's a new service, or, you know, it's not really like redesigning something that already exists, but it's new.
0: Right. So, absolutely. So, I think we were talking about companies that are ostensibly tech companies, but really the technology is at most, you know, a side by side feature of the company alongside something like human drivers. But there are actual companies, of course, that are. Trading on the fact that they've created something completely new, something that wasn't needed uh, until the last decade or so. Something that comes to mind is a, a company that's doing very well right now. They recently had an IPO, and their value's been growing uh, ever since. And, and that's company is called Cloudflare, and basically, it's a it's a way to protect big websites or any websites really against uh, distributed denial of service attacks, called DDoS attacks, uh, which is where some malicious group, whether it's Uh, a hacker collective or a foreign government really anyone that has um a a a modest amount of resources with the software that exists uh, it's truly not very expensive to carry out this type of attack can target a url from uh you know a tiny independent website a local site or a blog all the way up to google and amazon and if your site uh well really even if you have a lot of resources like a site like facebook or amazon um, it's kind of impossible to protect yourself against these attacks with your own in-house servers. So basically, what Cloudflare does is they have a, a huge amount of servers all over the world. and sites, um, you know, up and down the the rankings of the top sites, pay them a subscription fee. And if your site is targeted, um, or even even if it's, um, you know, not necessarily targeted, like let's say big if true, Broke a broke a huge story and traffic flooded the site and, and overwhelmed the servers. Um, Cloudflare Cloudflare can help in those situations too. So they spin up these uh, these servers as needed for all of these companies. Um, and I actually think that's a great example of they're not using some uh, repackaging of a, an existing service. This is something that truly wasn't on the market and wasn't needed until the rise of you know the internet as we know it now. These companies can't afford to have any downtime. They can't afford to be vulnerable. Um, and uh, th- these are these are services that actually add a lot of value to their clients, unlike maybe something like Uber, which is really just, it seems from an outside perspective, looking at their financials, looking at how badly they want to protect uh, the the kind of idea of independent contractors and not having to give their employees benefits. It seems like they're really just trying to stay one step ahead of of the markets that have long existed in these industries like taxi drivers and stuff like that. So I think that's a that's a big distinction there for me. Um, another thing that's interesting is is I mentioned Amazon. to me, that's kind of the ultimate example of a mix of of both of these extremes because Amazon is doing something new, right? like uh, having a a singular place to order things from, especially with you know two day one day delivery, that's a, that's convenience that didn't exist outside of going to like a big box store before Amazon existed. It was not, it's not gonna be delivered to you from like a single source, but they also um, have been known to abuse labor practices at their distribution centers. They've kind of used a lot of legal loopholes in their past to carve out more profitability, you know, for a long time, they avoided paying sales tax on their sales that finally caught up to them, but that was a big part of their rise in the beginning so I think that's um, that's kind of a murkier example. But to me, this law in California, I'm super interested to see how this plays out and, and how this lawsuit is going to affect Uber because independent contractors are such a huge part of the tech industry and these big banner companies in the industry like Uber. Um, and that's a huge part of why they're able to be profitable or in Uber's case, not even profitable, but even not as unprofitable as they could be if they if they had to provide more protections, perhaps for their workers. So definitely going to be keeping a close eye on this uh, this lawsuit for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's also good to keep in mind that three fourths of Uber employees make less than minimum wage, and a third uh, of drivers lose money. And that's according to an MIT study.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and that stat about Uber, I think maybe gives you gives us a little uh, context as to why. Uber might not be interested in um, kind of more labor protections. It sounds like they're they're kind of skirting some laws already when it comes to their employees. So in the second part of the show, we wanted to talk about. Fact checks that came out of the Democratic debate last week in Houston, Molly. I know you did some uh, some fact checking of your own on BigIfTrue.org, as well as compiled some other fact checks from other outlets. First and foremost, I know you fact checked the beto o'rourke claim in the debate. He said in Texas, a five-year-old child in kindergarten is five times as likely to be disciplined or suspended or expelled based on the color of their skin. What did you find when you uh, when you looked into the, the background of this quote?
1: I found that that's partially true, but it's also partially like a bit of an overstatement. Um, so he is pulling that information from a study from the group Texans Care for Children and their research found that black elementary school students were five times more likely to receive an out-of-school suspension, as uh, O'Rourke said, but they are twice as likely to receive an in-school suspension, so less than, less than O'Rourke said a little bit.
0: Exactly. Another um, fact check that, well, I'd say a continuing storyline in this Democratic primary process has been the different media outlets fact checking Bernie Sanders claims. Um, I think it's fair to say that Sanders often makes very sweeping statements about some of these some of these uh, categories. He's been known to kind of uh, wrap up maybe some some true some um, untrue statements together in these in these big statements about things like health care. But we've talked about Bernie Sanders fact checking in the past about The Washington Post specifically. Uh, what were some of the points of Sanders that were fact checked by the media and that you saw uh, in your coverage coming out of this debate last week?
1: Um, well, the main the main thing I thought was interesting was and, and this is something uh, Bernie Sanders has said before, but he made this statement again during the debate um, that 500,000 Americans are uh, going bankrupt because of medical bills. And during the debate, he took that a step further in certain direction he said that was because of major diseases because like uh, cancer or you know major major diseases led to medical debt and bankruptcy so this has been fact-checked in the past also in fact it was the subject of a pretty contentious washington post fact check basically um, fact checkers Rated this statement incorrect because they concluded that medical bills are a factor that led to families bankruptcies, uh, but not the only cause. And I should say this: this number it comes from the study in the American Journal of Public Health. Really, this just gets into the whole debate of if something is a factor. So there are multiple causes, and it's just one of the causes. Do you think that that, you know? caused the thing, which I feel like is such a philosophical question that you really shouldn't be getting into that while you're fact-checking stuff. Um, Also, you're making a lot of assumptions on what your readers might think while you're making those assumptions. So, um, But the thing to remember with Bernie Sanders' original statement is sometimes it's true, sometimes it's not, depending on how he, you know, couched it, like, whatever additional information he may have said so last week during the debate I would say that was false because we don't have any data that shows cancer or major illnesses specifically led to bankruptcy we just have this estimate from the American Journal of Public Health that you know says medical bills are a factor for for families going bankrupt
0: right and I think a lot of times with Sanders. Um, fact checkers can get kind of bogged down in his statements because I think his rhetorical aim is to make a point that's slightly different than just the fact itself. And and to me, when I read this, uh, you know, he said 50 million people lose their private insurance every year when they quit or change their job. Um, and, And it's, it's a, it's, it's a false from a fact checking perspective because there aren't 50 million people in any given year that are uninsured, but in the flow of the debate, it seemed more like Sanders was trying to push back against the idea that X amount of Americans have this stable coverage from their employer, and he seemed to be trying to make the point that even if you have employer-based health coverage, um, if you change your job, that is imperiled. So it it seemed to me more like he was saying uh, 50 million people could experience insurance instability throughout a year when they change jobs but from a fact checking standpoint no they don't technically go uninsured so I think that's kind of where a lot of fact checkers get tripped up um, with what Sanders says because like you said a lot of times there are elements to truth in these big statements that he's making uh, while there are also things that maybe are overstated so it's kind of a, a fine line there
1: Yeah, I guess, like, with the 50 million statement, though, I mean, like, I would just say that's false because we just don't have any numbers to back it up. And we also don't know how many, I mean, like, we were trying to Google it before the show, but, like, we don't know how many people, like, quit or lose their jobs in a year, like, off the top of our heads. And it would, if we had that number and could compare it to the 50 million number, that would kind of give us a better idea. But, I mean, since we can't prove his statement, uh, you know, it's kind of just not not true
0: yeah and 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 fact checking is very important and something that i i think is like critical to informed um decisions on the part of the voter but also statements like that i think speak to the nature of our system in america where people are often called on to go with their gut feeling more than just you know the black and white facts because uh, you know as politicians on both sides are guilty of um, overstating their position so I-, I think that's uh definitely something that we'll see a lot more of in the next year um, basically you know where do the Democratic candidates fall in terms of veracity on their claims but um, I don't necessarily think that's going to be the deciding factor in who the nominee becomes you know I don't think it's gonna be the person with the highest waPO fact check or PolitiFact rating so I think it's an important exercise, but it's also something that kind of is, is secondary to what's really going to play out, which is based on feeling.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it still is really important though, but as, as you said, I mean, it, every voter is different and I don't, while, while the candidates need to be held accountable, like accountable for what they say, like it's accurate that, you know, that might not be at the top of everyone's list, but um. You know, also just in general, with the Sanders fact check earlier, like, it's a good reminder of how subjective fact checking is, which is kind of an ongoing frustration for a lot of people, I think, with uh, different fact checkers, fact checking organizations, although the Washington Post obviously has gotten the most criticism.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure. And you you see it. Um, across the spectrum, like I think a, an interesting thing is Snopes.com receives a lot of criticism, uh, from people that they sometimes will fact check. I guess you could say, but they are they even I would say they're even in a different realm than political fact checking because so often they're they're fact checking, you know, urban myths and chain emails and things like that. It seems even less subjective than something like the Washington Post or Politifact or something. But still, you know, they they receive criticism for what they fact check as well. So I really think it just depends on who you support and who you work for in politics. And that seems to be how uh, much you value different fact checks. So um, like you said, extremely subjective, a kind of counterintuitive to what you think the idea of a fact check is, but that's just the way it is. That's the way it works. Um, So yeah, there are lots of other uh, individual facts that, that Molly fact checked and also ran down other, Outlets fact-checking over on BigIfTrue.org. And then also the story we talked about earlier about this um, this very important landmark lawsuit that is uh, shaping up in California uh, when it comes to Uber and independent contractors. So head on over to BigIfTrue.org. Check those out. Um, for now, we'll end the show there. Today's episode was uh, hosted and produced by me, Justin Sanders.
1: Our theme is Oh No by Hartle Road.
0: Hard Reset is available on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and give us a rating and help other people find the show.
1: Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. We're nonpartisan and nonprofit. Support us at BigIfTrue.org slash support. Subscribe to our newsletter at BigIfTrue.org slash hard